up on the overhead on the screen, you see some pictures that uh, go back away. And all of these pictures that appear up here before you, uh, some of you may look at that middle picture and think, man, that looks like one of the missions field. That looks like where Whitney's going in, uh, in here very shortly, as soon as we get all of our uh, finances raised. Uh, the reality of, these, of that is that these are pictures of America. You'll notice up in the top uh, top left corner, you'll see up there a Brooklyn Daily Eagle headline, Wall Street Panic as Stocks Crash. All of these scenes are, are all these photos are pictures of an era of time that uh, the world experienced, but we even experienced here in America as the, and we're the land of opportunity. We've been the land of prosperity, but but we went through an episode of time uh, that is known as the Great Depression. If some of you younger people have not ever heard of the Great Depression, you need to read up on it. You need to Google it, okay, and read about the Great Depression, it was called depression for a reason. My dad was born in 1930. He he was a depression baby. And I was just telling Brother Mike before uh, we came in for worship service here this morning how that I've been out at my dad's house since his passing and I've been doing some work around the house. Still, I've got a lot to do. But my dad saved everything. He And when you meet people that were depression children... Now, uh, that you find very few adults, actually no adults that lived during the Depression, but when you find Depression babies, Depression children, you still find that they have traits. My dad had pairs on top of pairs of shoes uh, put back in the house. Some of them that I remember him having when I was a small child. I, I threw away one whole uh, 55-gallon trash can full of nothing but pie pans, the aluminum foil pie pans. Uh, some of you all are shaking your head. You know what uh, what I'm talking about. I, I, we threw away one whole 55-gallon bag full of butter and Cool Whip bowls with no lids on them. Another trash bag was filled with the lids so that it came to an equivalent of two... Over 110 gallons of Cool Whip and butter bowls, and and man, you know that's a lot of butter and a lot of Cool Whip. But but people that grew up during the times of the Depression uh, would will tell you those that are still around, they will tell you now that they're approaching 100 years old about living in very tough times, and and you appreciated everything that you could get your hands on. And they saved everything. They still save everything. And it drives people like Mike Dillow and myself crazy. Amen, Mike? Yeah. So nearly a hundred years ago when this depression occurred, it, 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 it devastated the world economy. There were people, uh, there was people that, that jumped from buildings. They jumped from bridges. They took their life in many, many ways. Uh, it, it was called, again, the Depression for a reason. And nearly a hundred years ago, during this time of Great Depression, there was a song that was written, some of you all no doubt have heard it, and that song, the title of it and the lyrics to it are, Happy Days Are Here Again. 
what a song to be written in 1929. This is what it looked like. But somebody writes a song, Happy Days Are Here Again. Now, in 1932, there was a guy that ran for president, began his campaign for president, and, would, and he would become president of the United States of America. His name was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Well, uh, I'll refer to him as FDR. FDR began his, and that was one of my dad's heroes, by the way. FDR began his campaign in 1932, and in 1932, as FDR began his presidential campaign, does anybody have a guess what his campaign theme song was? Happy Days are here again. And it began to sweep the country. Even in the midst of the Depression... There was, there was hope here of a, of a man, FDR, and he's one of our renowned presidents of the United States of America, that FDR was going to bring happy days back to America one more time. Even though the Depression had taken its toll on so many lives. And it became such a popular song during those years of campaign that there were actually people begging, literally begging and pleading that the song stop being played because they had heard it enough. Happy days are here again. You know, in our lives there exists common pursuits. All of us in this room, all of you watching this morning, we all have different pursuits of life, yet we all have some common pursuits. We all heard the pursuit of man, or life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're, we're looking for something. Why do you think right now people, people are coming into this country? They're looking for something that they don't have and they think that we've got. A number of years ago when I was in one of the nations of Africa working on a, a, a missions project and I, uh, there was a pastor. He was one of the local pastors. I didn't think he could speak English. I, I, I only, I only heard him speak the, the broken language of Swahili. And I was sitting down and we were eating lunch one day and we we're sitting and we we're leaning up against the wall of the building. There was no roof on the building yet. And all of a sudden this guy that after two weeks, I didn't think he could speak English. He comes and sits down beside of me and he said, so pastor, pastor, I hear in America, they pay you not to work. I said, well, I said, well, brother, I said, I will tell you what. I said, in some cases, that is true. I said, but that is not the overall normal. I said, no, people work in America just like they do here. I said, it's, it's much different, but they work. But, but, but everybody has some common pursuits. And one of those pursuits is the hope of happiness, the hope of some Joy, and even though joy and happiness are in fact two different things. I want to read to you some scripture this morning from the book of Luke. Now, 
I, I want to flash back to just a week ago, and it was Resurrection Sunday. If you want to go back just a few more days than that to Friday, Friday was one of the darkest, perhaps the most dark day in all the history of the world. And it was the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross. And, you know, different people have different theologies of, of why the day grew dark right there in approximately three in the afternoon, why the day grew dark. Somebody said, you know, in their theory, it was when God had to turn his back towards Jesus because that, that he was, he was given up the ghost. He was given up his life in that moment. I'm not sure exactly if that's true or not. It sounds good and, uh, and it certainly it can apply here. But Friday was a day of darkness. Sunday was that day we celebrated last Sunday, Resurrection Day. But now I want you to think about what has happened since Sunday. Because what has happened since Sunday, let, let, me, let, me, let me just try to put you, if I can, in the circumstance. If you can, just imagine that you have been following this guy named Jesus. This man named Jesus ha- has identified himself as the Messiah, the Christ. And you have been following him. And there's so many things that have occurred in these last three years. And you're walking with him and he's been teaching you. And you even saw him put a man's ear back on his head just a few days ago. You still saw people that have been touched, that have been ministered to. You see that you watch this man get beat unto the point, but not all the way into death. You saw him be falsely accused and and and, and crucified, but yet he says, uh, forgive these men, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. You saw this man as he hangs on a cross, looked at one one of the two male factors that were on each side of him, and he said to the one, but This day you shall be with me in paradise because this man chose to identify with him as the Christ. You saw all this happen. You know that Jesus taught that in three days the temple would would, would fall, but then it would be raised back up. And even though they really didn't understand that, they believed it all. But then it all happened. Then it all happened. But nobody has ever witnessed somebody else being raised from the dead before. If a, if a grave became empty, it was probably because some thieves and robbers came and they took the body out of the grave and they did so thinking that there was some wealth there in the grave buried with that body. You see, so, so none of this has ever happened before. None of this has ever occurred. It's all strange to say the least. It's unusual doesn't even apply here. You see, because the, 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 the realm of impossibility has been broken. Because nobody has ever come back from the dead. So we're, we're now, we're now three days past Sunday. We're now three days into the week. And, 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 and we know the tomb is empty, but there's a lot of speculation of what's happened. There's a good movie. I can't remember. We watched it the other night. 
There's a movie out where they, and it depicts, it depicts Herod and, 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 and they begin to look. They're trying to find out what happened to the body. And, and I, and I'm sure that, that in, in, in the sense of the matter, we don't find those details recorded in scripture, but there, there was people trying to explain that. There are people today that are still trying to explain what happened to the body of Jesus. Because they don't believe the resurrection. Three days later, there, there's, there's these two guys and these two guys are, are traveling from Jerusalem. They're headed to a place called Emmaus. And as they're walking down the road, we pick up on the encounter of, of this Emmaus journey in Luke 24. And I've got quite a bit of scripture to read here this morning. And I, I beg your, uh, I beg your patience in following me along as we read the scripture. But I think it's important to read this entire account. Now that same day, two of them were going, two of them, them was two of the disciples, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles traveling by foot. So it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the walking stick? What do you think happened? I don't know. Do you think he really raised from the dead or do you think somebody actually robbed the grave? Well, we know it couldn't have been those, it couldn't have been those two women. They, they weren't strong enough to carry the body, let alone roll away that big rock. Well, well, what do you think happened then? Do you think somebody moved the body somewhere else? Well, well, maybe, just, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's a government scheme. Yeah, and they've been, they've been beginning to talk. Well, maybe, well, maybe he did really, in fact, raise from the dead. But, but, but as they walked, they began to discuss, and they were discussing what happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. Understand what that's saying there is there was a spiritual occurrence. The Holy Spirit actually blinded their eyes to who Jesus was. And he asked them, Jesus, he said, what are you discussing together as you walk? Now this is Jesus. Jesus already knows what's going on. He, he knows what the conversation is. What are you guys... Hey, what are you guys discussing as you're walking along? And they stood still. Their faces downcast. That's very important. That tells me and should tell you that they were really thrilled about the situation going on. They didn't have all the confidence that they needed to know that Jesus really had risen from the dead. They didn't have all the confidence that they needed to know that everything was going to be okay and everything was going to be alright. Their faces were downcast. They were very sad. They were upset. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They were frightened. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? What he's saying to Cleopas is saying to Jesus, he said, Have you been hiding under a rock, dude? You mean to tell me you've been in Jerusalem and you don't know what's going on? 
Hey man, have you been in lockdown? <laughs> What's going on here? Jesus said, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And notice how they identified Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, they said, we had hope. Uh, in, in, in the first part of that, this sentence, or the first sentence, they said, he was a prophet. Then they come along and said, we had hoped. Had. Past tense. We had hoped that, that, that this was, this was going to be our Messiah. This was going to be our rescuer. We had hoped that this Jesus was going to be the one that has been prophesied about. And then they go on and said, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Thank God for amazing women, right ladies? In addition, some of our our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he began to give it to them. And listen what happens. You see, because... We think about communion before the crucifixion, but understand this, there was a post-crucifixion communion. And they opened their eyes, and they recognized Him, and then He disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Wasn't something happening in us while he was walking along and talking to us even though we didn't really recognize who he was? And they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Emmaus. You see, they were fleeing to Emmaus in reality. 
They returned to Jerusalem and they found eleven, the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus recognized was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I want to preach to you with that thought in mind about happy days are here again. And as I preach to you about happy days being here again, I want to share with you in a first thought about being disappointed and deranged. I want you to think about the discussion these guys had on this trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles. We, we look at the percept, their perceptions of the events of the previous day. We thought about that. I shared that in, with you as I was reading. They, they didn't quite understand. We would like to think, yeah, they absolutely knew everything that was going on, but they didn't understand. I have news for you. There's things about the kingdom of God I still don't understand. You may, but there's things that I still don't understand. There's questions I still don't have answers for. There's things that I can't explained. And, and these guys were disappointed. They were a bit deranged because they had no comprehension of who Jesus was, nor what had really happened. They had anticipated expectations before leading up to the crucifixion, but seemingly those expectations had went unmet, and we identify with that whenever they said, well, we had hoped he was going to be the king, the Messiah that was going to lead Israel out of bondage and lead us out of trouble and lead us into all of the promises that had been paid had been laid out before them. They ex- listen. What they were expecting in reality was a military or a governmental Messiah. They weren't necessarily expecting a spiritual Messiah. They weren't expecting for this to, to, to be a king that would, would later as we turn to Revelation chapter 5, I believe it is, that when John says, I, 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 I said, who's worthy to open the scrolls? And, 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 and there's no one there worthy to open the scrolls, but suddenly a lamb appears, a lamb that had, had been slaughtered, a bloody lamb, but but that lamb wore a crown. That lamb wore a king. And they said the one who is worthy to open the books has arrived. And he is among us. You see, they weren't looking for that kind of king. They were looking for a king to sit on the throne. The literal throne of Israel. So they were a bit disappointed among the derangements. What's happened to the body. You know, and these women... They, they, they did, you know, they were marvelous. They did great things, but you can't always believe what a woman tells you. Their perceived notions and skewed misunderstanding was limiting them to receive the revelation of who Jesus was. You see, sometimes, sometimes, and I don't know, I've, I've been on this kick now, I call it a kick, forgive me if that offends you. I've been on this kick for several weeks, if you notice, about how Peter, it was Simon, Simon, who do, who did they say that I am Simon? Simon says, well, they say, da, 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 da. who do you say I am, Simon? So he says, you are the Lord, you are the Christ. He says, you've said, well, Simon, flesh and blood has not, re- has not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. You'll no longer be called Simon, but now you're 
Peter will be called Peter or Petra because upon this rock, the revelation, I will build my church. You understand that Cleopas and his friend here had did not had not received the revelation of who Jesus was. And they were confused. They were disappointed. They were deranged. Their preconceived notions and ideas wasn't allowing them to see the fullness of the mission of Christ. Do you know we still wrestle with that today? Do you know that the church, the church, and when I'm talking about church, I'm talking about church folk. Church folk still wrestle with that today. A lot of time we think the mission of Christ is about us. We think the mission of Christ is about our church. But do you understand the mission of Christ is kingdom mission. It goes far beyond our ability as individuals, even our ability as a wonderful church here in Bluewell, West Virginia. But it goes in to a kingdom mission and there is while we're all important yet we're not the most important if you would because there is not a most important because everything is important with God and the mission is equivalent and it is balanced if you would so we have you and I have preconceived notions and we sometimes suffer the lack of understanding that prevents us from seeing the fullness of who Jesus is. We sing a song fullness. You know, we sing a, we sing a song fullness. But but sometime but sometime and and I, I'm 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 pointing back at myself here too. Sometime our narrow mindedness as believers prevent us from seeing the fullness and being the fullness that God wants and intends for us to have because it's about me and my three or you and your four and we don't see any more. But when we begin to grab hold of the kingdom of God and the fullness of God, we will our eyes will be open. Understand this, that occurred, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I want to remind you here that it, it did not occur until Jesus had revealed himself once again and he had brought himself and these guys into communion. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to visit that at the end. The second thing was the reintroduction and the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus revealed himself in a, not just a new way, but at least in a different way to these two disciples. He, he introduced himself and we, we read there when you, when you read the scriptures that we took text from, you read there how Jesus began to go back and, and he began to explain the, the, uh, the, uh, share with them the stories of the prophets and the book of Moses. And, and, and listen, nobody knows scripture any better than Jesus knows it. Perry Stone don't even know more than Jesus. And Jesus begins to reveal himself in the power and the authority of the word. And as Jesus begins to disclose and reveal himself to us, what happens is, is this. A.W. Tozer, a great preacher, made, made this statement one time. He says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. God's not going to reveal himself to us if we don't desire it. Are you with me? 
Somebody ought to amen that right there. I will say it again. Give you a second chance. Because God is a God of second chances. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long and so very long and all in vain. So is God is God waiting on us to want him? Is a fair question to this morning. Is God waiting on us? He, he was waiting on these guys, these two guys, to want him. He was, he was, he was a stranger to them. And he was sharing, expounding the, the scripture as it was in that day to them, but he was wanting them to want him. You see, God still uses that approach today. He wants us to want Him. A lot of times, God is right in the middle of where we're at and right in the middle of who we are and we don't even recognize Him. You know, a few months ago, it was Christmas. How many days is it from Christmas now? She keeps count of that. You know, she, she don't have, she don't have an up to date account. But, but, a, you know, a few, a few months ago, a few, just a few weeks ago, really, it was Christmas. And I don't know if you all ever heard that recitation, the Christmas guest. About the guy, that, that guy, that he's wanting, he's, he's expecting this visitation from the Lord on Christmas Day, and there's a poor beggar comes by, and there's a little child that comes by, and that child has no feet, and so forth and so on, and, and then the hour grows dark, and it's midnight, Christmas night, Christmas is about to pass. I can't remember, I got Ebenezer on my mind, it's not right, but, but anyway, the, the, the guy, he, then he, then he, he goes to pray, and he says, Lord, I thought you were coming to see me. I I thought you were going to be my Christmas guest, but I've never seen you. And he said, oh, yes, you did. I was the beggar that come by and, and looking for bread. I was the child that come by that had no shoes on my feet. I, I was the other the other circumstance, whatever it would be, escapes my memory right now. But the reality of it is, many times you and I entertain Jesus. In fact, the scripture says that we often entertain angels and we entertain them unaware. God is right in our midst many, many times. In fact, I'll venture to say that every single day of your life and my life, God is right in the middle of our lives and we fail to recognize it. But when we have that yearning, when we have that yearning, then Jesus says, I'm going to bring you to confirmation and communion. And I probably should prepare for communion for this service, but I didn't. So no matter if it's feeding 5,000 men plus their women and children, breaking of bread with his 12 disciples before the crucifixion, going over to Zacchaeus' house for supper tonight, or if it's meeting with two disciples that don't even recognize him after the crucifixion, Jesus wants to reveal himself. He just needs us to want him. So Jesus, Jesus goes and breaks bread with these two guys. We find over in Revelation, going back over there again, Revelation chapter 3, I think it's verse 20. Jesus said, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I knock on that door, and if anybody will open that door to me, I'll come in and he can sup with me, and I'm going to sup with him. We're going to have communion together. You see, when the want to is there, Jesus is there. Can, can I share? Can I share with you about how I pray? For a long time, and for a long time, when I prayed for loss, whether it's family members, strangers, or even my enemies, when I prayed for the loss, for a long time, I would get down and I would pray as I would pray, pray for the loss to be saved. I would say, Dear Jesus, convict their hearts, Lord. Lord, let your Holy Spirit speak to them. Lord, let, just, just draw them by the Holy Spirit. And I would spend my time. Was that wasted prayer? No, it wasn't wasted prayer. But one day, one day, several, many years ago, actually, the the Holy Spirit nudged me in my prayer life. And the Holy Spirit said, you know what? You don't have to pray for me to deal with the hearts of men, women, boys and girls. Because that is what I do. I am the convictor of the hearts of man. But what you need to pray is pray that the ears of men and women, boys and girls, Girls become open to hear when I speak because I am speaking in the land right now. I'm drawing men, women, boys and girls. But what they need to have is an ear open to hear what I have to say. And right now, I'm here to tell you I stand on that. I believe in that. I'm not praying God to send your Holy Spirit down. He's already done that. I'm not saying God speak to men. He's already doing that. But what I'm saying is God opened the ears and open the heart and open the minds of people that they would no longer have a deaf ear to your voice. They would no longer have blind eyes to see in who you are, but they will receive you in the fullness of your who you are. And that desire for communion will occur. And in that desire for a communion, what you see happen is a personal devotion pursuant of Christ church is good church very church is very good let me emphasize that church is very good but let me tell you something you can have church without that personal devotion and as good as church is it's not as good as it can be I don't say that to discourage you. I don't say that to, to push you away. But the, the reality of it is church is good. Church has its place. But understand this. This comes down to a personal devotion. You know, it comes down to these two guys having an intimate setting. The two of them went and sat down and broke bread with Jesus. After they had received, and that's when the revelation come on. Jesus reveals himself. And then they enter into that communion. They enter into that intimate setting with him. When they sat down, they weren't in a, they weren't in a mass dinner. They weren't in a large crusade gathering, but it just took them setting down and spending time with Jesus for their eyes to be open. As good as church is, has, as mighty as many crusades have been. And I, I watched this, uh, I watched Sarah and I run across this documentary, uh, uh, a few months ago about how that that uh, in the in the old days, the days of circuit riding preacher, you may not realize this, but 
but right just over the mountains here into eastern Kentucky and flowing into just over into West Virginia and parts of Virginia, there, 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 there was an awakening that occurred back in the 1800s, and, and there were meetings. There were outdoor meetings. No PA system. No worship band. No no flashing lights. No smoke machines. Nothing like that. Where, where there would be gatherings as much as 24,000 people would gather on a weekend for what they called Brush Arbor Camp Meetings. And, and there wasn't a sound system where a man could preach and 24,000 would hear. So one group would go over here and somebody would preach to this group. Another group would go over here and somebody would preach to that group. Another one go out there and somebody would preach to that group. And there were, and the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on this region of the Appalachian Mountains. And what, what we see, that's all well and good, but nothing ever will replace your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where you enter into communion. That's where you receive the revelation of who Jesus is. Now, as a disclaimer, as a disclaimer, when I read the scripture, it says we are the body of Christ. We're different members. We're assorted members, but it said we're all fitly joined together to make up the body. So when we enter in communion with the Lord, we enter into community with Christ. We, we are one member of a massive body, but, but in order, you know, you know, I don't take my finger out and put it somewhere, you know, I don't, I can't, you know, I'm proud to say I can't even take my teeth out and put them somewhere. I know some of you can't say that. But that's all right. We love you anyway, you know. But 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 I can't take my body apart and put it different places. And then God's desire is for the body of Christ to be together. But you have to be established as that member in that personal relationship with the body. So what all does this have to do with the depression? Well, back in the late 20s and through the 30s, that Great Depression, I showed you those pictures real briefly. And, and those pictures, they, 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 they show us the real life portrayal, if you would, or a, a real life portrayal caught on film of how depressed it was. There were people that were disappointed. There were people that were deranged. But there were people that found themselves reintroduced and revived. And they received new revelation. They began to have a hope. You see, when the... When Jesus was talking to these two disciples, they said, we had hoped this guy was going to be the king of Israel. He was going to be the king that was saved. We had hoped, past tense, we had hoped for that. After it's all said and done, after the dust of the Emmaus Road is settled, after the bread has been broken and 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 the cup has been shared, they their hope was renewed. I want you to know you may just be disappointed and deranged. You you you, but you need to be reintroduced and you need a new revelation of who Jesus is. And if you will crave that, if you will desire that, if you will want to be reintroduced to Jesus, and you will want that revelation of who Jesus is, He'll come in and He will confirm Himself 
and He will enter communion with you. You see, happy days are here again. FDR was just a man, but he, if you talk to people, especially people like my dad's age and maybe a few of you in this room this morning, FDR was a hero in America in many, many ways. And after the depression, we found ourselves at World War. And the industrialized age came upon America. And after the war ended, the industrialized age catapulted America into an age that you and I are still experiencing today. And when you go back and you look at history, you find from 1948 on up to where we're at today. And I'm not, I don't have the exact number, but if you do the math, that's approximately, what, 70 years? 76 years, okay? When you do the math and you bring from the, from 1948 up to today, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's really a short period of time. You younger ones think it's probably a long time, but it's really a short period of time. It's amazing how, how that the world is advancing right before our very eyes. But in, in the midst of an advancing world, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that you and I and so many others have become disappointed and deranged. We need to be reintroduced. We need a new revelation. We need to re-enter confirmation and communion. You see, what happened to these guys is they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to where they started. We don't know how close they were on this seven mile journey. We don't know how close they were to Emmaus. But for sake of illustrating, I'm going to say they were right at the sign. Right at the sign that said, welcome to Emmaus, unincorporated, speed limit 25. You know how it is around here. They were right at the sign when they had this encounter with Jesus. But then they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the place they started. They go back to the place that they had lost their hope. Because that is where hope actually did exist. And I believe that this morning the Lord would have me say to you, God is calling you back to the place of hope. He's calling you back to that place of renewal restoration and revelation one more time. You either are, you have, you are, or we, you will face some disparity in your life. But I want you to know this. The, I, I added this last night. Uh, this is like the Lord spoke it into my spirit. And the word that He gave me is, out of seasons of despair... Come the fullness of blessings. Out of the Great Depression came the fullness of blessings. Do you realize the people, Ballard and 
Loretta and a few others can amen me in here on this morning. Out, out, of, out of all the generations that are alive right now in America, do you realize our oldest generation is the least generation to complain? That's a fact. Do you realize out of all the generations that the youngest generations, the youngest adult generations are the most likely to complain? You see, that, that older generation, they remember where they came from. They remember what they were brought out of. And through through two generations, almost going down to the third generation, we've lost We've lost consciousness of that. But when we... There was an old song, and I think it was Miss Dottie Rambo wrote, wrote that song, and she wrote it to the tune... I, I don't guess it was plagiarism, but she wrote she wrote it to the tune uh, called Danny Boy. It said, he, he looked beyond my faults, and he saw my needs. She wrote another song that said, Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Let me see where Jesus brought me from and where I could have been. You know, every once in a while, we need to be reminded that that Jesus has brought us on a long, long journey. And He has brought us on that journey not to see us forsaken, but not to see us walk away either. And He was, you know, Jeremiah chapter 7, we find that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, made the call. It says, return into the old past wherein you did find a good way to walk. But the response of the people said, we will not walk therein. You see, God is calling us to renewed and restored relationship. And if we will give ourselves to a renewed and restored relationship with Him. He will not only give us the first works over, but I believe that He will give to us blessings and anointings that we have never, never came in contact with before if we will return to where we began. But you got to want to. You've got to want to. You've got to want to. Happy days are here again. And as we walk back into the presence of what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do, happy days will be here again. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment with me. Whether you call on, whether, whether you called on to 40 minutes of this or not, I, I, I don't know. But here's, here in a nutshell is what this message about. It's a message about renewal and re, revival and rededicating ourselves to the Lord. It is about it is about having a desire, a rekindled desire to pursue the things of God and to pursue God in our life. Not that we may say that we have more of Him, but in that we may be able to further advance the kingdom of God, which is His will. If you're in this room this morning and you've never been saved, then, then I want to tell you, there, you can't complete the will of God without His salvation. 
You you need to be saved. If you're in this room right now and you've never been saved, what does that mean, Pastor? What's mean being saved mean? It means that you've surrendered your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you have proclaimed Him as Lord. You've asked Him to forgive you of your sin. That's what being saved is, is about. And He washed you and He cleansed you by the power of His blood and you received that through faith. If you're in this room and you've not been saved, today you need to be saved. And without embarrassing anyone, without looking around, if you're in this room and you're not saved, would you wave at me?